0: You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com.
1: 10 years. I'm just curious, who's been here all 10 years? Okay, we got a few, we got a few. So good. Man, just what an honor and a privilege to be here, just in this room, uh, just so full and what God's done. Uh, the last couple of days, um, I've just kind of been contemplating. I'm not super uh, sentimental about dates and times like that, but all of, all of a sudden, the last couple of days, it just kind of hit me, uh, our 10-year mm-hmm. anniversary. And I was just reminded of, there's nothing in the kingdom that doesn't take a fight. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Any, any fighters in here? What about spiritual fighters? I know some of you. I can tell by looking at you, I'm like, I could tell Callie's going to fit in just good with our, with our team here. I was noticing during worship, she kind of walks around like she's looking for a fight. So, anyway. Just, it really does, it just reminds me when I look around this room of that, you know, we've just got such an incredible group of people here, incredible family of believers, but then just some incredible leaders that have just been fighting alongside you to advance the kingdom uh, here in Millen. Can you give Cody and Stacey a round of applause? Aren't they just something special? This is how I know I'm a good leader. I hired good people. So I'm really, really excited. Uh, that they've just said yes to taking the, the, the reins here at this campus and have just done just such an incredible job uh, and just leading you guys and pastoring you guys and. Uh, you really do have some of the best of the best. Uh, and I mean that, absolutely mean that. Well, I don't wanna take up too much more of our time today. I've got such a, an honor and a privilege today to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, I've shared this a couple of times before, but a few years ago, we got to go to a pastor's conference in Sacramento where I heard Corey for the first time, met him there. And it was just, it was one of those messages that um, I, I don't know if I heard it or I felt it because i know that when the message was over uh we had our senior team with us us and keith and natalie and cody and stacy i've somebody else with us. Like steve and michaela might even been with us that year but we we were all sitting on the row and when he got done preaching we physically could not get out of our chair it was just one of those messages where the glory of the lord showed up just so strong and so powerful and uh, as i was kind of contemplating you know um who I'd love to have come and just pour into our church family and prophesy even into our our church family. Uh, At the 10-year mark, there was just no hesitation. I wanted Corey, we came back the next year, he did it all over again. Uh, So uh, we're not you're fixing to hear a good message, you're fixing to feel a good message. So if you would just join me in welcoming Corey Russell.
0: Good morning. How you doing? It's an honor to be with you guys. Ten is a big one. Come on, somebody. Ten's a big one. How old are you? You got any ten-year-olds are in here? Any ten-year-olds? Almost, almost. Yeah, I, I think about it. I, I, I'm all about the numbers and the stuff like that, you, it, paying attention to it. You know, it, it was in Acts 10 when the door opened for the Gentile world to receive the gospel. And I think you guys, you know, laboring for the first fruits, the first 10 years, and we're just getting started. So it's going to be amazing, and uh, it's an honor to be with you, first time here. Uh, so I just love it. I, 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 If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 1. I'm not good at intros, and what's up? So we'll just jump in. <laughs> um, yeah, uh little bit a touch about me and then then we'll jump in I'm from Northwest Arkansas and uh born and raised small town my dad was a factory worker for 30 years in an air conditioning factory and never missed one day of work in 30 years and mom was a uh, mom was a teacher and and uh, just grew up I got a, a younger brother and just grew up in a small town and we'd go to church but I really didn't know Jesus and uh So, you know, just kind of got into it. I don't know, about eight eight years old, got into gangster rap music. I don't really know how that happened. But kind of characterized me, man. It was before we really knew the deadliness of this whole thing. But um, so when the first blunt and 40 come my way, I'm like, let's roll. And uh, anybody else understand the plight I've been through? (laughs) Nobody in here. It's all under the blood. I don't know who that was. All right. I got uh, athletics and all that. And then once athletics was out of the equation, I really, uh, I really uh, filled up the vacuum of identity with how high can I get, how drunk can I get, go off to college near Little Rock, Arkansas, and the drugs and the drinking increased. Came home from my first summer, got my first DWI, and uh, I couldn't afford to go back to college where I was at, so I ended up getting a, a, an apartment with my best friend. My best friend had been homeschooled till ninth grade. His mom was one of those Pentecostal praying mamas. You usually got about 25 kids, somewhere around there. Um, 22, give or take. Um, (laughs) We are from Arkansas. Um, (laughs) The reader understand. Okay. Um, But she was a praying woman. And but yet, we end up hooking up, and now we're doing drugs that keep you up three or four days a week at a time. And uh, when you got, and and so we really went into a dark season, but we had a praying mother who was storming the gates of heaven and hell for us. Anybody in here believing for children? (coughs) And uh, they were storming the gates of heaven or hell. This is the kind of woman that anoints everybody with oil and praising tongues all the time a little weird and it was before the the scented candles I mean it was just everybody had little burning candles I don't know how the house didn't burn down but um, she was storming the gates of heaven and hell for us and it went through a season where my friend came to Jesus she led him through a three-day deliverance he gets saved And I had been at the University of Arkansas partying the night before, showed up at his house. He comes running out the front door screaming at me, Corey, it's heaven or hell. Corey, it's heaven or hell. You have to make a decision right now. I'm backing up. You know, the 25 kids in the front yard. And I'm backing up going, what's wrong with you? Let's give your life to Jesus. Now, for about four months, he wasn't talking. So he was, we just kind of put up with the weird kid. It's kind of like the old weekend at Bernie's. You know, just throw him in the back seat. And... um, You know you're in trouble when dope heads are talking about your intervention, okay? Um, He's screaming at me, it's heaven or hell, Corey, give your life to Jesus. I go, no, I'm leaving. I leave, and it was known. Mama led him through a three-day deliverance. He gets saved, and I get angry. Okay, you don't get saved at 20. I was very upset, and so I wanted nothing to do with him. Two weeks later, for some reason, I was still in school. I was studying to be an elementary teacher by degree. Aren't you glad I got saved? (laughs) Wasn't messing with little, little Timmy or Bobby in your class. He takes me to lunch, and he says, Corey, for, and, and for those four months, he goes, I was seeing in the spirit realm. I was seeing angels, demons, seeing what was controlling people. And, Corey, you got some critters. You need to give your life to Jesus. This thing is real. The voice of the Lord broke in the middle of the party that we were at, and the Lord said, Satan's raising up an army, but I'm raising up an army too, and I'm calling you out tonight, and I want you to go call your friends out. So he's, we're at a lunch in a mall in Fort Smith, Arkansas. He goes, give your life to Jesus. And I said, shut up and take me back to school. He goes, cool. He drives back to the college. Right before I get out of the van, I felt the Holy Spirit fill the van. And before I knew it, I was shaking violently like I was having a seizure. I could see a tug-of-war battle between light and darkness over my soul. He pulled in the back of the parking lot and starts going after every spirit mama taught him. And uh, I go into choking and know I have to get out the name Jesus, but all I can get out is Jesus. I keep trying to say the name Jesus, but Jesus is the only thing that comes out. He's in my ear screaming, say it, say it, say it. I said, I'm trying. (laughs) Finally took a deep breath and with all the power inside of me, screamed Jesus. And right when I did, the hole broke off my throat. God came and breathed into my mouth. And all I can say for the next five minutes is I've got air. I've got air. I've got air. He jumps out of the van dancing, running around the, uh, the van saying, Jericho's fallen. Jericho's come down. I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded awesome. Two minutes later, he shows up. Two minutes later, I hear the voice of the Lord in my mind, and the voice said, get out of the van, get on the pavement, and give me your life, your mind. So February 18th, 1997, I jump out of the van, get into the college parking lot, and scream, Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I'm yours, and I pass from death to life in that moment. In those days, we were sticking needles in our veins, smoke a bag a day, do a case a day, throw away sexuality throughout those teenage years, and one touch of the raw presence of God brought instantaneous deliverance. I believe in the power of God. Went home that afternoon and sat on my porch swing for two hours, undone by how blue the sky was, how green the grass was, and how loud the birds were. And then within a month, I had a drug ring of friends that had encounters like that or bigger than their explosions, and God broke into our small community. I lead my brother to the Lord who goes crazy for Jesus in the high school. We saw over the next six months, half the high school come to Jesus. We had about five meetings a week till three in the morning as I got a holy addiction for the presence of God. I had just gotten my second DWI before I got saved, so I couldn't go anywhere. And so this was literally what really got me into the Bible. I've got I got to get rid of these Tupac lyrics. I've got to get them out of my head. So I'm going to read the Bible until they go away. There's still a few that are still stuck in there, but, but that's beside the point. They'll come out. It's kind of like that old cologne. Like, I never want to smell that cologne again. My goodness. I got wrecked and given to prayer my early first season. I hung out with two 50-year-olds and one 80-year-old woman. These women were cool. I want to tell you, age has nothing to do with coolness. It's are you on fire or not? If you're on fire, people want to be around you. If you're not, you're just boring and crusty. Okay, you, you are you alive in God? And I do want to say that again. Who in here is believing God for a loved one to come to Him? I mean, got children? All right, we're going to take 20 seconds, and I want you to stand. I'm going to ask God right now. You just raised your hand. I saw all of you. Go ahead and stand up. Yeah. If you're believing God for a child to come back to him, I believe in the power of my testimony right now. All right? If they're next to you, I want you to put your hand on their shoulder or something like that. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know every name, every story, every situation in this room. And, Father, we call back our sons and daughters to you right now. We call back our sons and our daughters to you right now. I pray for a divine intervention at the sound of my voice that you would crack in to the middle of this relationship, into the middle of this addiction, into the middle of this lie that's happened. Some of it was our fault. God, I even thank you that you move and even when it was our fault and that you override it, and I break the power of shame off of you in the name of Jesus. And I pray that, Father, that you would intervene and release salvation to our homes. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would do this. Amen. Amen, amen. I want to give you a vision of the power of 20-second prayers. Many of us only feel valuable if your prayers are two hours. I live most of my life, and whenever someone comes to your mind, whisper their name before the throne. Just say it. And watch what happens in the power of 20-second prayers. Well, I married my wife in 1998. We just celebrated 25 years, August 1st. We had our, come on somebody. It's a miracle. It's glorious. It's awesome. God has carried us and sustained us through some glorious highs and some devastating lows. And yet God by his faithfulness has carried us. I have a 23-year-old daughter, 20-year-old daughter, and 13-year-old daughter. And I'm just surrounded with beautiful women Y'all pray for me, so extra into the offering, I got three weddings coming. (laughs) Another big part of our story is we had a son, uh, we named him Nash, after an intercessor, Daniel Nash, who at a year old went home to be with the Lord ten years ago. And we had to walk through the earthquake of the loss of a child, and it was there that I found God. It was there that it went from a nice itinerant ministry into where I got a vision for eternity, And a vision for something bigger than my nice little temporal life here in the American circuit. But I got a vision for eternity. And I believe in the power of resurrection. And I believe that God's taken our devastating lows and turned it into a movement of awakening intercessors across the earth for revival and the return of the Lord. So when we talk to you about these things, I'm not just sharing my cool little message and get my book in the back and it'll be great. I'm talking about finding God in the dark night. And I want to call us, and I just want to, if I'm going to these last few minutes with you, I, we moved to Kansas City in 2000, and, and I gave myself to prayer for the last 20 years, was in Kansas City, Dallas, now we're in Denver. And if I've got one, that right when I moved to Kansas City, can you throw up John 17, 24 up here? John 17, 24. I remember right when I moved to Kansas City, I got a hold of this verse and I, and I throw the verses to them. I gave them a whole bunch of different ones. I'll just say it to you. This is Jesus' prayer right before Judas is on his way into the garden of Gethsemane to betray Jesus that night and he's praying for you and me. And this is what he prays, Father I desire, everybody say desire. desire. Have you ever thought about God having a desire? You ever thought about God wanting something? God desiring something. This is the Son of God. This is God the Son talking to God the Father through God the Spirit praying for you. And he's not just asking for a social club. He's not asking for some good people to work a little bit better and be better people. Matter of fact, I don't think that's what Jesus was dying for to make you know, good people better. But he was asking the Father for something right before he went to the cross And here's his prayer, Father, I desire that those whom you've given me, put your name in there, this is what he wants, this is Jesus' prayer for you, that you would be with him where he is and that you would behold his glory. Look at that. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. You know what he's saying? This is the stuff we were dreaming about before Genesis 1, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had a dream. The trinity in unity with one another had a dream of a bride, of a people that would come forth out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, every background, and that they would be with him where he is. And then number two, that they would be lost in the search and the discovery of his glory. Jesus' prayer for you is that you would look at him. Jesus' prayer for you is that you would behold his glory. And he's basing it on what they dreamed about before the foundation of the world. I want to give you a vision today, in my last few minutes with you, and give you a vision to answer Jesus' prayer over your life. To join it. There is nothing greater than when God reveals God to the human spirit. Now, everybody loves the drug addict that gets delivered, and hallelujah. I love it. I'm grateful for my testimony. But I want to tell you something that's as deadly as the spirit of addiction, and it's the spirit of religion. And the spirit of religion is the facade and the plastic forms that has the right language devoid of a tenderness and a fascination and a wonder resting on the human spirit. We were never made to go through a social club where we check off a weekly box so you feel better about your week. It ain't about you, friend. It's not about just being good people. I think we should be good and we need to be nice. But this is about being conformed and transformed into the image of him. Can you put Ephesians 1, 15 through 19 up here? I'm going to give you a lot of Bible. (sighs) I got a vision and that God would deliver us from a spirit of boredom in the American church. What does that mean? That means that you would spend more time in the Bible this coming week than Netflix, TikTok, or Instagram. And not because you have to, but because you want to. When a spirit of revelation touches your life, it begins to make sense of a thousand other things. And our problem is we're bored and we're boring. It's not God that's boring, and it's not that book that's boring. We're just so filled with so much candy, we have no appetite for real pleasure. We're really just a bunch of half-hearted creatures that don't know the power of true pleasure. And it's the pleasure of being loved by and loving God with everything that we have. That's what we're made for. Jesus' Paul's prayer, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to the church the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened and that you would know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, and the greatness of his power. Here's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. All right, you got saved and you stepped off the harbor into the boat, but I've got a fear and that you're going to turn the boat into a nice once-a-week social club in which you hang out in. He goes, my prayer is that Holy Spirit would cut the ropes of that boat and that you would begin to sail into the Pacific Ocean called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The unsearchable riches of this man, the unsearchable glory of this man, it says that the Lamb is going to be the light of the new Jerusalem. Do you know how big that city is? It's from here to Los Angeles. And one man is going to light up the city with himself. Isaiah chapter 4 says that the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious in that day. And, we're going to, and Jesus is going to win the beauty contest at the end of the age. Paul says, I can't stop praying that the spirit of revelation would touch your life and that your eyes would be open." Well, thank God, I was once blind, but now I see. But still Christians can become blind. Still Christians can become blind. Church of Laodicea, you say that you see, but you don't know you're blind. Jesus, I was blind, but now I see. He goes, but yeah, you got blind again because you're living in a last season self-righteousness. That poverty of spirit that brought you in, you've been coasting on. And there's become cataracts over your eyes. And there's not hunger and a reach for you. And when's the last time you wept in the word of God and wept in worship and wept over the discovery of me, over everything else? When's the last time? He goes, I counsel you, buy from me, I salve. This is the I salve. is when the spirit of revelation touches your inner man. That's my gift. That's what I believe we need to give. I've been asking the Lord, what's the prophetic word for the house? And I want to say, I believe it's a wholesale turning to the kids in this other room. The next 10 years is going to be marked by a youth revival in this region. It's going to be marked by a youth revival, a spirit of glory touching our children because they need more than Daniel's in the lion's den and good manners. They need more than Daniel in the lion's den, Noah, be a good boy and make straight A's. That's why we're sending off a generation to college who knows all the right rules and they're getting raped by the spirit of this age because they have no interior fortitude and relationship with him at deep enough level They get absolutely destroyed. We've got to get a vision for something bigger, Generational. That's the next 10 years for this. God wants to turn up the heat in this place. Making this a revival center for the region where kids are coming, where the widows are bringing their children and where our children are getting marked by God in worship. And it may look different than what we've seen. I don't care. I'm praying for that spirit of revelation, the awakening to touch you. Can you put Psalm 27, verse 4 up here? Thank you, Jesus. You're like, man, he's so intense. It's okay. It's okay. If, if I gave blank checks to everyone in this room, God gets to say, now you can't read the verse. And I blank check to you as ask anything from God, what would you ask from him? The guy gave everybody a blank check in this room and said, fill it out. What do you want from God? I imagine there's a thousand good answers to that. David, who is richer than anybody, who's more influential than anybody, said there's one thing I've desired of God. And he says, that will I seek. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Look at that. And I want to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Have you ever thought of God as beautiful? Have you ever thought about beauty and the power of beauty? That's the power that causes, that's how God's hardwired humanity is that beauty captures the eyes and it reorients a life. We got a bunch of men in here who've been married a long time. You were a dork, you were sloppy, you were messy, you didn't care about hygiene. And then you saw her. That's discipleship. That's the power of discipleship is when eyes get awakened, lives get oriented. And therefore it's all about the eyes and what are we looking at. And I want to tell you the greatest discipler is beauty. The greatest discipler is beauty. It's not just do more stuff and be a good rule follower. It's have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you caught one glimpse? Has one phrase jumped off this page and touched you in a while and you sat there weeping and you forgot where you were for a second and wonder touched you and beauty touched you and you're like, Jesus, you are the pearl of great price. All of who you are, your majesty, your humility, your meekness, your crucifixion, your resurrection, all of who you are is beautiful. Your discipline is beautiful. Your tenderness is beautiful. Your kindness is beautiful. I've been loving Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And the only time that Jesus defined his interior life is gentle and lowly in heart. It's the only time he defined his interior life. And he goes, I want to deliver you from heaviness. He is wanting to deliver the American church from a spirit of heaviness. And it's not by trying to not become heavy, it's by beholding the gentle and lowly one. It's beholding him, that's how we're transformed into the same image. Christianity is not trying harder, it's looking more. And, Paul, and David goes, oh, there's one thing I want from God, let me be close and let me look again. You can take away everything else in my life. You can take my money, my influence, everything else, but never take your face. What's the greatest pain of your life? What's the greatest pain of your life? Is it the size of your bank account or the size of your present-day intimacy with God? What keeps you up at night, tossing and turning? Is it I've got to make more room to create more space to seek you more diligently because I've caught a glimpse and and you're all that matters? Well, brother, be balanced. Ain't nobody changed nothing with balance. <laughs> Ain't nobody balanced changed anything. Yeah, I'm not talking about living stupid, but I'm talking about living obsessed. And my greatest season in God didn't happen in ministry or a prayer room. It happened second shift of an air conditioning factory. For six months as I had a spirit of burning resting on me for eight hours a night while I was hitting that little click on the air conditioning part, and I would just take a deep breath and say, Jesus, you're beautiful, and another wave of fire would go up and down my body. That's the greatest season in God. I don't want to hear this. Because when your heart gets touched, priorities get reoriented. Can you put Philippians 3 up here? There it is. Paul, so David opened his heart, Jesus opened his heart, And here's Paul opening his heart. I like it to see the times where you want to know what motivates me. He gave his first seven verses of how much of a boss he was in the Pharisaical Judaism world. He goes, as far as it comes to radical pursuit, ain't nobody better. But then I had a road to Damascus encounter. I got knocked off my horse by a blinding man. And in that moment, my 20 years of Pharisaical studies turned into poop. And the actual translation is, you spill it out. He goes, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. He says this, I want to. I count them as rubbish, that's that word, and I, and I want to gain Christ, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him. Time out, Paul, don't be religious, you know him. He goes, no, I'm in a paddle boat and he's the Pacific Ocean. Do you know why you get bored? Because there's nothing left to discover. When we firmly believe this is all there is to Christianity, it's about a man. The only thing good about heaven is he's there. And it's about this man that is absolutely beautiful He is the image of the invisible God. He's the express image of his person. All things were made through this man, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him all things consist, and they hold together. And he's upholding worlds by the power of his word. All things consist in him. All things are held together in him. Take another breath. He's holding your flesh to your bones. Breath in your lungs. And Paul goes, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to get lost in the search and the discovery of this man. I want to know him. I want to know him. Keep going, keep going. I want to know him in two realms. No, 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 go back. Verse 10, got got messed up there. I know him and the power of his what? Resurrection. We got that chopped out there. And the what? Fellowship of his sufferings. right? It's there. <laughs> two realms, you're going to know Christ. Death and resurrection. Suffering and glory. Glory and gory. You've had two ingredients in your journey in Christ so far. Lots of glory and lots of gory. Glory. And understanding that this is what brings us into the fullness of the knowledge of God. I feel like we've grown up in a lot of settings that only want to talk about power of resurrection. That only want to talk about glory, goodness, and all of it. And I'm all about it. But there's a fellowship. There's a communion in suffering and understanding that he understands whatever's common to all of us. It's both. That brings us into maturity, and if you get only one part, if you only eat candy all day, you wake up malnutritioned. And we have an immature church in the American church that refuses to look at one aspect of him. He not only did it for you, he did it as an example for you. And in your darkest nights, he's there. It doesn't end there, but it's involved in the story of what conforms us into the image. Paul goes, I want to know I'm in power and I want to know I'm in suffering. He says this, I have not already attained, I'm not already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing, there's that word again. We looked in the first service this morning, Mary, Mary of Bethany, one thing is needed. David says, one thing I've desired. Paul goes, one thing I do. What do you do, Paul? I forget the things which are behind, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I want to tell you one of your greatest ways to move into the next season is you need to forget yesterday. Guys, I'm going to to hit you a little hard here, okay? Forget about it. And it's New York, Jesus. (laughs) Forget about it. Two areas you need to learn how to forget, the failures of yesterday. Hear me, we keep talking about the gospel of grace, but you dictate the terms of your religion based on how worthy you feel this week. You let Jesus know when you're ready to get on the front row and worship a little longer because you've had a good week. It ain't about you. It's about his blood that speaks a better word. It's about his blood that cleanses. It's about his blood that breaks. It's about his blood that, that, that shatters every lie, breaks every stronghold, and puts you into right standing as if you've never sinned at all. Because Jesus doesn't shop at thrift stores. You don't get second-hand me righteousness. You get the very righteousness of God imputed and imparted into your spiritual bank account, and you stand as clean as He does in the presence of Abba. Believe it. You need to forget the failures. And number two, you got to forget your successes. If we're going to move into the next 10 years, you can't just be living in the glory of the last. We feed, we remember, we go. And I find the successes are even harder because most of us live with the memory memory of a fiery spirit. And friends, you've been dull for a little while. It's kind of like you'll be 35 and you still think you're the 17 year old high school quarterback. You ain't. But in your mind you are. Paul says, I forget and I reach. Forget and I reach. He said, I forget things that are behind. I reach forward. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Let us, as many as mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Did I give you Revelation 1? Put that one up there too. Revelation 1, 10 through 18. You want to know what Jesus looks like today? John put his head on his chest when he was about 15 years old. He ran into him at around 90 years old, and he didn't put his head on his chest. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the First and the Last. What you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. You won't see till you turn. You need to turn away from some people that want to live at a 2.0 in American Christianity. You've been having coffee dates with the same person that wants to stay at the same place and doesn't want to shift. And you keep trying to evangelize them and they've dulled you. I don't care how long you've known these people. It's time to turn away from some people that are pulling you down. I have I have moved a lot of people in my life from once a week coffee to once a month. And they never knew it. You got to turn within to the indwelling spirit. Friends, you have your tour guide into the revelation of Jesus living on the inside of you. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Number three, turn to other people that are going, at, that want more than just being saved and doing as much as we can and staying saved. He goes, I turned to see the voice. Let's look, look at this. I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the feet. Ah. I love this because Jesus is in the middle of the church. He's not the prophet outside. He's the intercessor inside. And he's the high priest in the middle. Guys, I want you to know he's not intimidated by your mess. He's not intimidated by the mess at home. He's not flighty. He's got real thick skin and intercessors are stubborn. And he goes, I'm your your representation in the heart of the house, and I represent you before the throne. I've been through everything you've been through. There's not one experience in this room he doesn't know. When I got the call on March 16, 2013, I I was in London, England, stepped out of a ministry time with my wife screaming. He's dead, Corey. He's dead. You know the first thing that came out of my mouth? Father, you know what it feels like to lose a son. I need you right now. He understands death. He understands the lie over his life. He don't know who his daddy is. In John 8, that's what the Pharisees were saying. Abraham's our dad. You don't even know who your dad is. How about that one? How about about the neglect? How about the, we have no idea that his brothers didn't even believe in him during his ministry. And Jesus had to show back up to James to get James to the upper room. So much warfare. There's not one experience in this room he's not acquainted with, nor sympathizes with, nor understands. And that's what gives him weight before the throne. He's our high priest. He's our intercessor before the throne, gathering all of our experiences into his perfect potent sacrificial ministry of intercession his head and hair white like wool here's something I want you to start telling Jesus Jesus you're a good leader stop complaining about his leadership and wishing you were God and start celebrating his perfect ways his head is like the finest gold friends I want you to know there are some things in this life I don't understand. It's past my pay grade, but I am convinced that whatever has been a part of the story is about setting me and my family on the sea of glass for 10 billion years. Fully alive with worshiping hearts, saying marvelous are all your ways. I love you, God. his head and hair white like wool, his eyes like a flame of fire. Have you looked at those eyes of fire? That's the cure for the American church, the fire in his eyes. It's, it's eyes of zeal, it's eyes of jealousy, it's eyes that will confront and destroy all pornography in your life. It's eyes that remove a nice balanced Christian life because there ain't nothing passive nor casual about Jesus. He's intense. He's intense, he's intentional, he's passion. And all you need to do is take your cold heart and put it before the bonfire in his eyes and it will tenderize your dull, numb heart till you feel again. His feet, his voice, his hands, his face. brighter than the sun in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. We're going to fall down before the Lamb of God. We're going to fall down before this man. He's a bridegroom. He's a king. He's a judge. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He's the shepherd. He's your intercessor. Everybody look around this room. Most of you know each other, I don't know any of you, but do you know, if I knew blatantly everybody's story, you know what I'd be thinking? How are you here? Why aren't you dead? Why aren't you hung over outside that bar that you lived at forever? How are you still here? How are you still sane? It's because there's a man at the right hand of the Father who's prayed you through dark seasons. (sighs) There are seasons. Jesus told Simon Peter, Satan's asked me to sit you as wheat. What'd you tell him, Jesus? He goes, I told him to take his best shot on one condition. I get to pray for him. We're all in this room because of the prayers of that man. And his friends that he wakes up at three in the morning who can't sleep. I wanna call us as we go into this next 10 years into a renewed focus and pursuit of the revelation of Jesus Christ. I wanna call you to get beauty back on your spirit, not your story, his beauty. Yes, your story is woven into it, but I want you to know there's beauty in every season. Sometimes you got to swim, it's a lot of turbulence to get above that second clouds. But I promise you when he becomes our song, whew, changes everything. Whew. Let's ask for that ice salve right now to touch us. God I thank you for this beautiful people I thank you for the beautiful stories Father I pray that you would do what you love to do and that's to reveal your son to weak and broken men like us I thank you Lord that you, your favorite thing is to take dull hearts and to awaken them your favorite thing is to break boredom off of people and we just take our cold hearts, our distracted hearts, our busy hearts, and we put them before the beauty of your countenance. And I pray that you would lift up the light of your countenance upon this people. I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Lord, be gracious to you. I speak the light of his countenance over this people. I speak the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of that man. I pray that all the inferior pleasures would be broken. I pray that all the inferior pursuits would be broken and that we would get lost in their surpassing superior glory of knowing you. I pray that you would become our reward and not just what you do for us. Thank you that, Jesus, you're not a stepladder into my destiny or a fulfillment to my dreams, but you are the fulfillment and the perfection of all desire. You are the consummation of all perfection, Jesus. I just bless this house and I bless this family on this 10-year anniversary in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to RenewLifeChurch.com.